0: Welcome to BNY Mellon Investment Management's Conversations on, a podcast series where each week we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics in financial markets today, featuring the views of our economists and fund managers. Even as companies around the world cut, suspend, and or defer dividends, Newton's head of equity income, Ilka Haubelt, remains confident about income investing. Hear her thoughts on dividend cuts and her outlook for the future in this podcast with BNY Mellon Investment Management's Chief Economist, Shamik Dar.
1: Hi, Olga. It's really nice to be on the call with you today. We're going to talk about, well, the income conundrum, really, what's happening to income funds and dividends and earnings and that kind of thing. Before we kick off, though, I might just, you know this because I've chatted to you about this before, but, you know, we've seen a pretty severe economic recession to say the least the uk economy may have shrunk by about 20% in in q2 the world economy by about 10% but on the other hand we've also seen quite a lot of fiscal and monetary stimulus you know again globally we're talking about you know something like north of 15% of global gdp in terms of fiscal and monetary stimulus so how in 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 the sort of income world how does that all stack up i mean we've you know, how, how severe have do you think the the cuts to dividends against that kind of background? How severe do you think that's been?
2: Hi, Sharmek. So nice to have the opportunity to have a chat with you today in the morning. Look, I mean I've been around during the global financial crisis as well. And so it's it's really interesting in a way to compare both crises a little bit and to see what has happened. And I would like to look at it from a global perspective and in a way consider three aspects. The first one is how many companies have cut the dividend so far, right? And if you look, at consensus numbers, around one-third of companies have cut the dividend so far. And I stress so far because the crisis is not over yet. And we don't know how long it lasts and how severe it will be in the end. If we compare it with the global financial crisis, half of the companies have cut their dividend. And you've just alluded to it in your introduction, right? We've seen unprecedented policy response as well from a fiscal as from a monetary point of view. So it's Quite difficult to figure out right now how severe the cuts will be in the end. And then I would say the second aspect that I think is interesting is to ask ourselves right how deep have the cuts been so far? And again, it links in to the fiscal and monetary support. So year to date, if you look at the global universe, dividends have been cut by around 14%. But if you then dig a little deeper into the dividend-paying company universe, then if we look at companies that that are higher yielding, that pay a yield of more than 4%, those have cut dividends by more than 25% according to the current flash estimates. And I mean, to say the least, we've seen big differences between sectors and regions as well, which brings me to the third aspect of the question, right? Which regions have done better or worse? And I mean, if you look at it, Asia and Europe have clearly been leading the cuts. And Japan and US have done much better. And I would say there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, I mean the US and Japan is, as you will know as well have much lower payout ratios with around 40%. While in Europe and Asia we have payout ratios of 70%. And you know, when I when I think about it, is it just that US managements are much smarter or what it is? What is it? You know, I think there are cultural differences. European companies just have much more of a dividend culture, right? And US companies and maybe you have a couple of data points on how they've levered up during the cycle later on. I mean, they've really returned if you look at total shareholder return nearly one hundred percent through a mixture of dividends and share buybacks and but have for now outperformed, right? With only eighty percent of the high yielders cutting while sixty percent of the high yielders cut in Europe. So hearing your perspective of you know how you think the different regions might be interesting
1: that's really fascinating i think ilga it's just it's really interesting and underreported i think you know it's really interesting that you say that things are you know kind of pretty bad but but not quite as bad yet it seems to me globally as as during the financial crisis and that's a really important point that i think maybe not everyone has been exposed to so that's that's really interesting you're right i I do think there's a cultural and historical difference between europe and the us on, on on the one hand and asia on the other yeah, I mean, also, I think you know the the nature of monetary policy in in Europe and the U.S. The fact that we've gone to zero rates is encouraging some companies to maybe lever up and and, and indulge in in buybacks rather than rather than traditional dividends. So, uh, and, and maybe this this has kind of accelerated that process. But it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about those those differences against a background in which actually the the declines we've seen to date aren't as severe as as they were in the uh, financial crisis. But what about? Um, so you talked. You talked. You've said a bit about regions and countries and that sort of thing. Is it is it very different sectorally? I can imagine. I mean, one of the stories I'm having to tell all the time is just how how differently different sectors of the economy are being impacted. Is that is that true in 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 income stock stocks world as well?
2: I mean, I feel it's uh, to be honest, I Shamiqa. Mean, I feel it's an amazing and I don't know how you feel about it, but the crisis in a way seems to have accelerated the headwinds and tailwinds you know different sectors and companies have already faced before going into the crisis if you if you think about online shopping digitalization trends like that right they've they've even accelerated through the crisis. if we look at the sectors we have in my view covid related clear winners and losers. But what I would like to add on is from a 15,000 feet perspective, I mean, COVID, the COVID crisis is a health crisis, right? So it's much different from the usual credit-driven economic recessions the two of us would normally discuss, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really important point.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've seen ESG playing a bigger role, to be honest. There's just a bigger awareness of companies to consider all stakeholders. And we've seen companies cutting or suspending dividends you know, as they feel they cannot pay dividends while laying off workers, I mean, one prominent example um, was Inditex, I mean, they clearly stated when they suspended the dividend, they would do so because they feel they cannot lay off workers and pay dividend. on the other hand. And then, in other cases, we've seen regulatory and government pressures, and we already touched on cultural differences, I mean, you can clearly tell from my accent that I'm coming from Germany, right? And we have less of an equity investment culture. And the German government was clearly one of the first ones to come out. If you take government aid to pay for workers or to pay for your staff, um, we expect you not to pay a dividend. So to make a long story short, yes, there has been a clear bifurcation of winners and losers. I mean, the losers have definitely been the sectors that have been... You know, in the eye of the storm, if you think about consumer discretionary sectors like airlines, travel and leisure, automobiles, and then on the financial side, bank and insurance companies have more often been told by the regulator not to pay dividends. So if you look again at bottom-up analyst forecasts, these sectors are expected to cut their dividends by more than 50 percent, looking forward into 2021. While on the other hand, the sustain- dividend sustainability has been highest in the you know sectors with the t- tailwinds like technology, healthcare. And consumers tables. I mean, I still remember the pictures at the beginning of the crisis of people piling toilet paper, right? If you think about the US election right? I mean there's much less talk about price cuts on on pharma companies and I don't know you know what what your perception is on you know the the winners and losers and how it will pan out with regard to the different sectors.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you've made some really, really important points there, and 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 ones that I make. But the first one I'd make is that something I, I've stressed to people is that you know if we can get back, and it's a big if, but if we can get back to the pre-crisis level of aggregate level of spending, then you know, in some senses, we may uh, w- obviously the economy will be deeply changed coming out of COVID, but it needn't mean mass unemployment or, or anything like that. What you might see is huge compositional changes in the economy. And I think that's absolutely where your point about essentially different types of spending coming to the fore is really, really important. So we could well end up with the same aggregate level of spending more or less the same aggregate level of employment as we had pre-crisis at some point, but the, the composition of the economy being very different. And and, and essentially COVID, under, you know, as you said, i think covid accelerating some underlying trends towards digitization towards you know geopolitical fracturing towards deglobalization all of that sort of thing i think covid has sped things along where i'm not so convinced uh, as some of the mongers is that that necessarily means permanent recession or depression or anything like that i think we might end up back at the same level of spending but with a very different shape to the economy overall and that's why the points you're making about the particular sector, sectoral winners and losers, I think are, are really important. And like you, I think, you know, we will be spending on on different things. Your new paper example, I think, is quite is quite quite telling, really. There's a lot of pent-up demand out there, right? You know, so, you know, we're talking about, for instance, cash holdings in the US rising by about, getting on for 15% of GDP. Now, I'm not convinced that people want to hold 15% extra the share of their income in cash forever you know and if they start to spend and that drives us back to the pre-crisis level of spending then we will generate you know something like full employment again in time but we won't be spending on the same stuff we'll be spending on different things and uh, so there will be big sectoral winners and losers here. it seems to me uh, I think you've outlined those really well, but you know, before I get carried away with with too much optimism, and, and believe me, I'm I'm only a sort of even's bet on that some optimistic scenario coming through. Nevertheless, we have had some cuts in dividends, and and there's always the the fear that we might get more. What, what about as a fund manager? What's your how are you adopting to this changing landscape? And are, are there any strategies you can you can adopt to to mitigate that? That dividend drop
2: look i mean to be really honest everything has happened very very fast and i still have the feeling that we are in an evolving situation and we don't know how long or short-lived the situation is so it's you know so it's hard for me to comment on how fund managers have generally adapted to the changed landscape i mean i've heard that some of our peers have used more complex derivative products to enhance their income level if their mandate allowed them to do so but I've not seen any hard facts or figures yet. I mean, what is easier for me and what I'm very happy to share with you is how we are managing the situation. We've simply stick to our approach. Right. And, you know, I mean, we've been working together for a long time. Um, that. I mean, we have a very disciplined approach and we believe it's really important to stick to our discipline right now. I mean, when do you want to stick to discipline, if not in a mode of crisis, right? So our focus has always been on actively investing in global high dividend paying equities. I think, or we think, this is the right place to be now more than ever, right? So I think quality will prove its worth. Now, more than ever, the crisis clearly highlights the necessity to focus on dividend quality instead of rewarding investors that simply go for quantity, right? In a way, as tragic as the current crisis is, in a certain way, it plays to our strengths as it highlights the necessity to know the companies you invest in, right? We are in a more complex situation than during the last years. So having a 31-strong team of analysts that helps you to do a really detailed bottom-up analysis and, I mean, integrating, and we touched on a couple of them, integrating thematic and ESG considerations will hopefully help us to find and to keep being invested in the most attractive income companies So for me, I think what matters most right now, and I would like to hear from you again, what you think is, I mean, just taking a longer time horizon, trying to look through the crisis, right? And and trying to look for companies, you know, who can survive the crisis because they have an intact business model and will come out stronger at the other end of the tunnel. I mean, for me, and I'm Maybe I'm as optimistic as you or I don't know. It's hard to tell. But I think it's important to keep in mind there will be a recovery, right? And the current situation is only temporary. And I mean, in a way, in the end, the core attractiveness of income investing has not changed, right? The compounding return of stable income streams will generate attractive returns over the longer term. So uh, I think we are in a good place right now.
1: Yeah, look, I completely agree with you, and That sounds like a very, very sensible approach. I think my own feeling is, yes, you're absolutely right. This is obviously a hugely traumatic and tragic event. But one of the complaints of the previous 10 years was that maybe monetary policy or policy more generally hadn't allowed stocks letters to letters to differentiate, if you like, sig- you know, significantly or properly, according to traditional market signals, simply because, in a sense, the rising tide was lifting all boats. And like I say tragic as it is in some sense a big shock like this does weed out the truly strong from those that were a bit more challenged now obviously the the, the real task for government it seems to me is to make sure that genuinely strong companies aren't threatened and uh, you know by what is a temporary loss of income and therefore focus of the fiscal policy on in- income replacement and on loan guarantees for genuinely strong companies, I think, makes a lot of sense. And as you say, as we come out of this, then some of those companies should go from strength to strength, even even the ones, it seems to me, that have been put under regulatory pressure to hold back on dividend payments, most obviously, I guess, in the financial sector. As the pressure starts to ease, I suspect those a, a lot of the quality companies there will be able to revert to to paying, ultimately, pensioners in the way that we normally expect them to. Yeah, so I mean that that your strategy sounds incredibly sensible and you know very sort of common sense. I mean, do you think though that there's to to maybe to play up on this theme a little bit more? Do you think what I've said is is correct? Do you think there's there's in some degree there's sort of clear blue water now between the companies that have been able to maintain their dividends and those have, that have had to cut? And do you, as a fund manager, in a way, find it I wouldn't say easier but would you find it you know there are certain metrics or certain approaches that you can take that give you a a clearer handle on valuations now compared with with the past
2: i think to be honest we have still a lot of questions that are unanswered as long as as well the company managements as we have no visibility yet on how long the crisis lasts right and again this is why our discussion is so interesting we have no idea yet which of the changes we are facing are temporary and which are structural changes, right? So we've touched a little bit on a couple of these trends, but what we ask ourselves are questions like, will we see business travel going forward in the old form that we've seen it before the crisis, or will business travel come under pressure and will companies use the opportunity to cut costs? Or if you think about working from home, is it a permanent phenomenon? Or, you know, well, people work from home, and we need less office space. So this has clear impacts on company valuation, right? And then we've touched on the fact that we are facing a health crisis, and, and that companies cut and suspend dividends for non-fundamental reasons, for other reasons than just financial ones. So. Headline earnings are very difficult in a market like this, especially in a market that is manipulated by liquidity, and in a market, you know, where we're facing in a in a way an unprecedented situation. So what we've decided to do is really to focus on certain company characteristics. So we are focusing on companies with a strong cash flow generation with good recurring cash flows dreams again and we've touched a little bit on it with business models that are robust and sustainable i mean strong balance sheets will matter now ever than you know before and coming back to what we have said before these companies should be the ones that come out of the crisis in a stronger position compared with their peers so what we try to do is really trying to take the longer term perspective trying to look through the current crisis and trying to identify the longer-term winners.
1: Yeah, again, sounds hugely sensible to me. I mean, I think the challenge clearly is that, you know, globally, you know, global real interest rates are very, very low. And they're low not just because central banks have been cutting interest rates. In a way, central banks are responding to what is a very low global real interest rate environment. And that's driven by the fact that there still are excess savings, if you like, globally. And, and, and the, the current crisis is uh, as if anything exacerbated that and driven real interest rates lower. And in a low real interest rate world, then obviously you get valuations that are that are higher and both dividend and earnings yields that are lower than they were historically. On average, and it seems to me in that sort of environment, what you have to do is focus on good stock selection based on fundamental analysis. Which is, it seems to me that that you're suggesting is is the only way forward, and I, and I, I I couldn't agree more, really. Can I can I I could go I, we could I could chat to you for forever, as you know, <laughs> Ilga. But we're we're I guess we're running a bit short of time. Can I just ask you a final question? And this is a little bit. Unfair because I get asked it a lot, so I'm sort of putting the <laughs> on another foot. But what about inflation? Do you think that's a that's a that's an issue going forward? Are you hearing from companies that you know there's a lot of cost pressure and and pressure to raise prices, or or is it the opposite that that they're 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 feeling the the, the environment is hyper competitive and they can't they can't afford to do that? And it, and it, and were we to get inflation, is that something that could alter the landscape for you significantly? income investing landscape.
2: Now you are asking me the one million dollar (laughs) question. Very unfair. (laughs) If I would have the price to ball and know the answer. I mean and again I don't try to to be vague or something, but I I think it's too early to tell to be honest. And I mean we've we've had a lot of discussions also with you right on what is what is happening. I mean we've been facing an era of secular stagnation right and the current fiscal and monetary policies clearly try to compensate for the, you know, demand destruction and the deflationary forces we are facing. So what uh, what time will tell is. I mean, we are very alert to change, to be honest, and we closely watch the fiscal policies that we see. And if we talk with managements, I think there are, I mean, what is interesting to spot is From a company perspective, I mean, the current crisis has made companies reconsider their supply chain as well. And you alluded to it, right, the growing trade tensions between China and the US. So one trend that is really coming out of the crisis is that companies reconsider onshoring and onshoring will require capex and will clearly increase the fixed cost basis to the companies. As boring as I might sound to you, so in the end, for us, when doing the company analysis, it comes to the same company specifics, characteristics, again, that I've shared with you. And with regard to in case we see more inflationary pressures, what we really look out for with the companies we invest in is finding quality companies that have pricing power, right? Because pricing power will be, in the end, the one thing that matters if you want to you know pass on inflation to to your end consumers
1: yeah again the same message i think you know kind of judicious careful stock selection uh, based on com- good company fundamentals seems to be the best way forward i mean just for for what it's worth i'm not a i'm not a huge inflation bear i don't really see it coming out in the short run and if, if anything i'm more worried about deflation in the short run but i think the interesting thing will be next year or the year after you know if inflationary pressure does start to build then for markets as a whole it seems to me it, it really depends on what central banks do in that situation if they stick to their mandates and find that in the face of inflationary pressure they have to raise interest rates sooner than markets currently expect then that's going to be a bit of a challenge both for bonds and equities it seems to me uh if on the other hand they decide well do you know what we could do with a bit of inflation let's let it rip for a bit Then it seems to me that that's trouble for the fixed income market in some ways, uh, although less than if interest rates go up. But actually, things like income-generating stocks may do very well in that situation because, um, as you say, so long as you're picking the right ones with some pricing power, then stocks and real assets generally offer, you know, act as a bit of a hedge against inflation. So it won't necessarily be a terrible thing. But as I say, I'm sure it's all about picking. Quality and, and sticking to the themes that are right. Ilga, thank you so much. Like I say, I could I could go on chatting for ages, and we probably will. I just hope that we get to catch up again soon, you know, face to face. It'd be nice to see you again soon.
2: Yeah, wonderful. I'm looking forward to that, um Shamik, and I've really enjoyed our conversation today in the morning. And let's see how, you know, all the trends we talked about will pan out in the end, right? It's we really clearly live in interesting times.
1: We do. We do. Thank you for that, Ilga. And with that, we'll call it a halt today, but uh, let's chat again soon. Bye.
0: Bye. You've been listening to Conversations On, a podcast by BNY Mellon Investment Management. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, learn more about this topic, and hopefully have made your time working from home a bit easier. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to you returning next time.